Today we are uh, starting a new series in the book of Joshua, and uh, we will also be in uh, 1 Peter and uh, the letters of Peter through this series, and I hope this uh, series is a blessing to you all. Uh, I would do uh, want to thank you all for, uh, for your prayers during Lynn and I's time away. We've been in, uh, at the General Assembly as part of our time away in Denver, Colorado, and uh, having got to hear Andrew Brunson, and uh, by the way, if, you're, if you are interested in hearing Andrew Brunson, our missionary who was imprisoned in Turkey, has been on the national news many times, uh, if you would like to hear him, he, I've posted a link to his, uh, his sermon on my Facebook pay, post, so if you're not a Facebook friend of mine, friend me and you can see that, and uh, I will try and get that on the Parkway uh, Facebook as well. So just a, a wonderful time, and uh, I also bring back greetings from many of the leaders of our denomination, uh, some who have heard of, uh, of Parkway and uh, some of the trials you all have been through and have just been praying for you. Uh, we, you are indeed part of an, of an amazing and wonderful denomination that truly cares for each one of you and cares for our congregation. So I just want you to know that and rest assured that many are supporting and praying for you all. Um, now I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. First we will be in Joshua chapter 1. We'll be going through verse 18 and then we'll be in 1 Peter at the beginning of 1 Peter, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on, on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you after he said, the Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land? Your wives, your children, and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan, but all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your land 
which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And now 1 Peter, beginning at verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Gracious, living, loving God, thank you so much for your word this morning, word that gives us hope, a word that gives us direction, a word that gives us peace. Lord, we pray this morning as we dwell on your words that your Holy Spirit will be here in power to work those truths into our hearts and into our minds. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I, uh, a little while ago, I read about uh, a book, a man who in 1995 was named Russell Edward Herman, who died and left trillions of dollars to thousands of people he'd never met. What was the catch? Well, Russell Edward Herman didn't have trillions of dollars. He was just a, a simple, poor comp, uh, carpenter. While the crazy will of the late Russell Herman never paid off for his beneficiaries, it certainly enlivened a lot of conversations. For instance, the small Ohio River town of Cave-In Rock, Herman bequeathed to them $2.41 billion. Cave-In Rock's mayor, Albert Kagey, had this to say, it's an odd thing to happen, isn't it? While the will never paid off, the mayor had no trouble imagining uses for the willed imaginary monies. Here's my point. Russell Edward Herman had great intentions, but he lacked the resources needed to make them a reality. You know, a lot of people today believe something similar about Christianity and Christians, many even who are members of churches. Many are convinced that the reality and truth behind the stories and promises of God aren't really true. But just believing them makes people feel better, imagining them to be true. Let me uh, tell you right now, 
that that's utterly tragic. In fact, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians as he was talking about the resurrection of Jesus, that if we have trusted in something that isn't absolutely true, then we are most to be pitied. See, if there isn't literal truth recorded in the pages of the Bible, and if we can't be certain about the promises of God in Jesus Christ, then we're just wasting our time. And we truly are hopeless and lifeless if God isn't real and doesn't truly have the resources to be faithful to his promises. The beginning of the book of Joshua and Peter's first letter here addresses just these questions regarding the promises of God. Look with me again here at uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of Joshua. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm giving to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, to all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you. You know, some 40 years before the beginning section of this book of Joshua, the Israelites had stood on the edge of the same promises of God. But they made decisions that kept them from moving forward toward the land that God had promised them. And now, now Moses has passed away. Just because Moses had died, it didn't mean the plans of God were dead as well. It's his work to build and to destroy. Joshua is raised up to continue the work of God. And God gave him three assurances that are just as true for us today. Those three assurances are vital for us here at Parkway as we look forward to what God will be doing and raising up in our midst for the next stage of ministry in our community. Take a look at these verses with me again. See, God had made a promise long before this. He had told Abraham that he and his descendants would receive the land of Canaan for an inheritance. And even though 400 years had passed, the promise of God was still real and genuine. And here we find in Joshua chapter 1 that God spoke to Joshua and told him that Moses, my servant, is dead. Then he tells him to get up, cross over the Jordan to the land he is giving them. Now we, uh, we know that according to Deuteronomy chapter 34 verse 8, this Israel mourned for Moses for 30 days. But here in God's word given to us in Joshua is the next step after the mourning. I can imagine that there were many among the Israelites that felt everything was lost. That many were thinking, What's the use of going on because Moses, God's man for us, is now dead? Maybe even Joshua himself that way, felt that way. Maybe they wondered how they could continue onward after the death of Moses. 
It's a natural response. And I'm guessing that some of you today have had those same kinds of reactions with a leader of a church or ministry that you've been called to moves on, retires, has a fall, or even dies. See, the promises of God seem to be tied to Moses and his called covenant leadership among the Israelites. And the fact that he is now dead seems to indicate that so are his promises. God reminds Joshua and the rest of us a very important truth. And this is point one on your outline for those of you who like to keep notes. It's in the middle of your bulletin there. God's work, God's promise is dependent entirely upon him and not us. See, he uses us in his mercy and grace, but the accomplishment of his work isn't dependent upon us. His promises bring life. They bring vitality and strength. When we are struggling in our own lives, we must remind ourselves of God's promises that we have in Christ Jesus. Moses, my servant, has died, so now you must wait? No. You must weep? No. Rise. Cross over into the land. God's promises do not evaporate even in the face of death. Even the death of such an important leader as Moses. While there is a time to mourn and a time to wait, there's also a time to move forward, built on the foundation and the surety of the promises of God. And so I want to suggest today that this is true for us here at Parkway as well. See, this congregation has gone through many trials over the last five-plus years. Many of you have wondered if God is even present here, if he's still at work in your midst. I want to assure you that God still has plans for Parkway. In all our brokenness, in all our weakness, all our foolishness, God is still God, even in the face of death. And God has given us a vision and a mission which is ultimately to join him on his mission in this community. Look at verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give to them. These simple words were once spoken to a very reticent, backward, excuse-making, I'm-not-worthy-ask-someone-else kind of guy. You remember? The same words were spoken to Moses in Exodus 3.12, when God called him to go and face both Israel and Pharaoh. This is the same God who gives the same promise and assurance to Joshua, who will be facing some daunting tasks himself, as we'll be seeing in the book of Joshua. Moses has died, but God hasn't changed. 
He is still God, the God who delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians because of this God can tell Joshua to be strong and to be bold. You see how he keeps repeating that? God does not fail. We often fail, even when our intentions are very good. You know, there have been times when I have not been able to keep my promises to my family because of my own weaknesses, my own failures, or because of circumstances. But God, God never fails. And God also does not auzab in the Hebrew, which means to leave, forsake, or neglect. Some of you today have experienced loved ones who have left, neglected, or forsaken you. But God never will. This church has experienced Christian leaders who have left, neglected, and forsaken you. But God never will. And so this is point two on your outline. The Lord is with us in good times and bad. And if you have trusted him as your Savior, Jesus promises never to leave you nor forsake you. He has bound us to himself. Where can you find that? Well, that's in Hebrews 13, verse 5. Be content with the things as you have, for he said, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you need to be encouraged today? Remember the greatest encouragement. The presence of Jesus with you. Practice his presence. Begin to remind yourself of his presence with you day by day, morning by morning, hour by hour, moment by moment. You can be strengthened. You can be encouraged and filled with joy as you remind yourself consistently of his presence, his empowering presence in your life. You know, the last four years after uh, I had brain surgery, I've experienced almost constant physical pain in my head and my neck. And this has, t- been, this has at times been very discouraging. I've had to remind myself of this promise of God. You see, God never promised me that he would take away all my pain. He never promised that I would always be healthy and wealthy, but he has promised to never leave nor forsake me. His promise and his presence has always been faithful. He has strengthened me for the journey for which he has called me, and I'm here today. Not because God has taken away all my pain. He hasn't. But he's always been faithful to give me the strength and joy I've needed to answer his call. If only I seek him. And he has called me to walk beside you all here at Parkway during this this sometimes difficult transitional time. God is still at work here in mighty ways, giving us a great commission, vision, and mission, and so he is calling us to be strong and very courageous. It was the call on Joshua, and it's point three on your outline. Be strengthened, be encouraged because of God's empowering presence. And let me add that it is a choice. 
God also provides the formula for obedience in his word here. Look with me at verse 7. He says, be careful to obey all the law of my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. He says to memorize it, to know it, to understand it. The word of God, meditate here. In the Hebrew, it's a wonderful word. It literally means mutter. To be able to mutter it. Know it so well that you can be careful to follow it. You know, there's a story told of a little girl who pointed to the Bible that stood untouched on the bookshelf and asked her mother, whose book is that? Startled by her daughter's question, the mother answered, why, honey, don't you know it's God's book? With eyes wide open, the girl replied, then don't you think we should give it back to him? No one around here ever reads it. We are called to know God's word so that we will be obedient to God's word. But Joshua and we will not be alone in obedience. For God tells Joshua and us that he'll be with us wherever we go. See, God gives the law and the promise and his presence. Joshua won't succeed because he obeys God's instruction. This is point four on your outline. He will succeed because God is with him to enable him to obey his instruction. Verses uh, 12 through uh, 17. Let me focus on those verses for a moment. Those verses need to be read in light of the book of Numbers, chapter 32, because it highlights another major point. See, back then, when these tribes had approached Moses years earlier, it was for the purpose of manipulating the inheritance of the promised land so that they would have more prime portions of that land. And they were going to create enmity and division among God's people. Moses then, in chapter 32 of Numbers, berates them as a brood of sinful men. And the point is, is that unity of God's people is vital in God's equation. If we're always fighting among ourselves, trying to get some sort of perceived advantage over others, for ourselves or for our family or for our preferred ministry, we will end up creating even more problems. This doesn't mean that we're always to be lovey-dovey with one another, but it does mean that we're to pray for one another, care for one another, to encourage and strengthen our brothers and sisters in Christ. It means that we must view others above ourselves, to live in humility and kindness with one another. See, unity to one another 
and fidelity to God's word are signs of God's working in the midst of his people. God's living, encouraging presence and leadership and work in his church. Now let's uh, turn to Peter's letter. Peter uh, begins by writing to sojourners and exiles. Let me tell you right off the bat, that's us. We are exiles, sojourners, just as much as the Israelites were. See, this isn't my home, and we get a little too comfortable. Our lives will reflect our values. Does your life reflect this truth? Or are we too busy making a wonderful and comfortable life for ourselves and our children and grandchildren in the here and now? See, just as we saw very clearly in the book of Revelation, in this world we are to view ourselves as strangers and pilgrims. This world is not our permanent home. It's merely a temporary residence. We've been placed here by God for the unique purposes he put us here to fulfill while en route to our ultimate destination. So no matter how far we may have gone at any stage of our existence, There's always more ahead. At no point in our earthly lives are we individually to affirm, I have arrived. There's always more to follow. God himself is the one who advances us into new stages of spiritual growth, biblical obedience, if we are truly led by him step by step, moment by moment in the journey of our life. We are always being called to follow Jesus in his great commission. On this side of the curtain, the Lord desires to grow more, for us to grow more deeply in his word and in his grace day by day. Another important aspect of this is the fact that we are living today in a culture that is step by step moving away from being a godly culture. And so it's even more urgent and more important for us to recognize that our culture doesn't make us who we are. We don't follow our culture, and we don't allow our culture to form our identity. Rather, it's God's word and his presence and his relationship with us that makes us who we are. And so when Peter was writing his letter, his culture was anything but godly. And as our culture strays further and further from God, it's even more important that we too recognize that we are strangers and sojourners in this world. Even as we pray for our Lord to revive our church and empower us to love people to real life in Jesus. Peter then also reminds us that we have been chosen and set apart to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and obedient to Christ and his word and sprinkled with his blood. See, to be set apart for holiness, to give our very selves to what is good and what is right and what is eternal. We are to live and make choices for eternity, not for our earthly comforts. We are daily to see ourselves as sojourners in the lives of others who do not know the Savior that we might have eternal impact 
in their lives in his love and truth. Peter then affirms for us that we are chosen by God. Just as with the Israelites who were God's chosen people, now in the new covenant it is us. Those of us who trust Jesus as Savior have been chosen by God. And point five is this. It was God who took the initiative to choose you. No matter your past sins, no matter your current sins and failures, if you have trusted him as Lord and given your life to him, you are his chosen and you are forgiven in the new covenant sprinkling of Christ's blood. Then Peter writes these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave us new birth according to his great mercy into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, this isn't so much that we as believers are now living full of hope as if we, it's some kind of wishful or positive thinking, but rather that we have a fixed hope, a clear vision of what God will do for us in the future. And this is point six. Biblical hope is not an uncertain desire. It is a confident expectation. He says, unto an imperishable, unspoiling, and unfading inheritance which is kept in heaven for you by God's power through faith in the salvation prepared to be revealed at the end. See, the Israelites' inheritance was a physical piece of land, which meant peace and a settled life and family, a place for them. But that was ultimately just a foretaste, a foreshadowing of something much, much more important. See, ultimately, this looked forward to the ultimate inheritance that God has for us in Christ Jesus, an eternal inheritance, a heavenly home, a room in Christ's mansion, a share of our Lord's inheritance. Roger Sims was hitchhiking his way home, and he would never forget the date. It was May 7th. His heavy suitcase made Roger tired he was anxious to take off his army uniform once and for all. Flashing the hitchhiking sign to oncoming cars, he lost hope, when, but when he finally saw it was a black, sleek new Cadillac. To his, his surprise, the car stopped. The passenger door opened. He ran to the, toward the car, tossed his suitcase in the back, and, ha and thanked the handsome, well-dressed man as he slid into the front seat. Going home for keeps? I sure am, Roger responded. Well, you're in luck if you're going to Chicago. Well, not quite that far. Do you live in Chicago? I have a business there. My name is Hanover. After talking about many things, Roger, who was a Christian, felt a compulsion to witness to this 50-something apparently successful businessman about Jesus. But he kept putting it off until he realized he was just 30 minutes from his home. 
So it was now or never. So Roger cleared his throat. Mr. Hanover, I'd like to talk to you about something very important. He then proceeded to explain the way of salvation, ultimately asking Mr. Hanover if he'd like to receive Christ as his Savior. To Roger's astonishment, the Cadillac pulled over to the side of the road. Roger thought that he was about to be ejected from the car, but the businessman bowed his head and received Jesus and then thanked Roger. This is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Five years went by. Roger got married. He had a two-year-old boy and a business of his own. Packing his suitcase for a business trip to Chicago, he found the small white business card that Hanover had given him five years before. And so uh, in Chicago, he decided to look up Hanover Enterprises. A receptionist told him it was impossible to see Mr. Hanover, but he could see Mrs. Hanover. A little confused as to what was going on, he was ushered into a lovely office and found himself facing a keen-eyed woman in her 50s. She extended her hand. You knew my husband? Roger told how her husband had given him a ride when hitchhiking home after the war. Can you tell me when that was? Well, it was May 7th, five years ago, the day I was discharged from the Army. Anything special about that day? Roger hesitated. Should he uh, mention giving his witness? Well, since he'd come so far, he might as well take the plunge. Mrs. Hanover, I, I explained the gospel. He pulled over to the side of the road and wept against the steering wheel, and he gave his life to Christ that day. Explosive sobs shook her body. Getting a grip on herself, she said, I, I had prayed for my husband's salvation for years, and I believed God would save him. And, said Roger, where is your husband, Mrs. Hanover? He's dead, she wept. He was in a car crash after he left you, after he let you out of the car. He never got home. You see, I thought God had not kept his promise. Sobbing uncontrollably, she added, I stopped living for God five years ago because I thought he hadn't kept his word. My friends, our God is a faithful God. He is a promise-keeping God. He is always faithful. And his promises stand today. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we can come to you today in prayer because you are always faithful. You always keep your promises to us. We might often fail, and we do, but you don't. You are always faithful.
no matter what the transitions in our life might be, no matter what changes, your grace always stands. You are always true. And so, Lord, we can trust you. We can trust you as the God who kept his promises to the Israelites. It might not always have seemed that way to them. The promises sometimes to us seem delayed, but they are always true. And you are always in charge. And Lord, that might be true for us today. It certainly seems true for many in Parkway today. But Lord, we trust you. We trust you in these new stages. We trust you in our search committee as they prepare to seek and find the pastor whom you are calling to this congregation. Lord, we trust you. We trust that this vision and mission, this great commission vision that you have given us is indeed your desire for us as we pursue. You are on the mission, Lord. You are on this mission already to seek and save the lost in our community. And you have invited us to join you in that mission. And you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower us for that calling. And so, Lord, we pray that you will indeed give us the strength and courage to step out, to go, to go where you lead. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing, amazing faithful promises in our lives and in our community. It is in Jesus' name we pray.